You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Last week, 10 of us from Mosaic went to the New Room Conference. Mark your calendar. Next year, September 21st to 23rd will be the New Room Conference, and you really owe it to yourself to go. It is such a good, sweet time of renewing and refreshing. Just a good experience for all of us, so restorative. I had the privilege of sharing a word at the conference, and during my talk, I I pulled out this piece of art. Um, if you're newer to Mosaic, you might not ever have had the chance to see this because it's, it hangs in the front foyer, which we don't ever use on Sundays anymore. Um, but I've put it back there next to the cross so you can look at it after the service and get an up-close-and-personal look at this. This piece of art we commissioned before we ever even got to Evans. And it holds our theology and tells our story. The, the three circles are about Trinity and about community. They're, they're about our, our desire to have an equal emphasis on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also a real understanding that the Trinity is the original community and, um, and, and about our desire to be true community. And you'll notice there are vines running through the circles and, and there are thorns on the vines. Might be a little bit hard to see, but on the yellow one you can see there's just thorns on the vines. Um, the thorns represent wounds. And they remind us that the place for wounds is inside the church. By the time those vines reach beyond the circles, you can tell they're sprouting leaves. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful vision of what recovery can be, not just for you and me personally, but for the church of Jesus Christ, which, along with the rest of the world, has suffered a lot of trauma in this season. We've gotten so used to to outsourcing or professionalizing our healing. But, but this vision teaches us that the place for wounds is inside the community. The place for healing is inside the community. So today we're gonna talk about healing and about how that plays out in prayer, and then we're gonna practice it. We're gonna set ourselves up for um, some personal healing, and then for the opportunity for you to walk around and, and offer healing and, and, and words to other people this morning. So we're gonna start with um, Luke chapter 13. We're gonna let this story in Luke 13 set us up. I'm gonna read the whole story, and then we'll go back and we'll highlight a few things. Look with me at Luke chapter 13, verse 10. If you need a Bible, if you'll raise your hand, somebody will bring you a Bible. Anybody need a Bible? All right, awesome. The best way to engage the Word of God is with a Bible, something to write with, something to write on. So Luke chapter 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching one of the, in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. I want you to underline crippled by a spirit. Underline that, and then underline the, the number 18. 18 in Hebrew stands for life. I don't think it's any coincidence that she is, uh, she's been dealing with this for 18 years when Jesus meets her. Or at least I don't think it's any coincidence that they note that it's been 18 years. She was bent over 
and could not straighten up at all. Never noticed this before, but it doesn't say she's an old woman. It just says she's a woman. But she's bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, okay, people, nothing to see here. There's six days to, for, to come and be healed. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness. We could go on and on. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom... Satan has kept bound. Underline that again. Satan has kept her bound for 18 long years. Shouldn't she be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Shouldn't she get life on the Sabbath? And when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. I think it'd be really tempting to spend our time on the second half of this story and on those silly religious leaders and all the ways they miss it and all the ways the church misses it. But actually, I just wanna, I just wanna um, focus on the miracle. It's a classic setup story for Jesus. He's, he's taking care of people while the religious people are taking care of the institution. That creates a dissonance that's painful, sometimes too familiar. But, 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 he said, but he, the story just has these four, the real meat of the story is just four lines. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward, right there in the middle of his teaching, called her forward and said to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And then he laid hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. That's it, that's the whole miracle. Four sentences, Jesus was teaching. uh, There was an old bent up woman in the audience. Jesus saw her, called her forward, laid hands on her, and she got healed immediately. Don't miss the point that she is sitting in church this way. Which, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Here she is, 18 years into this complicated physical and spiritual interplay, and now it's just how it is with her. You know, everybody who knows her figures this is just how she shows up every Sunday. They've they've gotten used to her being like she is. They don't even see it probably anymore. Don't even think about praying anything more over her. Meanwhile, Jesus, God among us, teaching the divine word in the synagogue, living out his life in God, always at work, always sensitive to those who are broken and in need of healing, that Jesus calls her out. It's kind of moving when you think about it, isn't it? And there she is, she's sitting in a crowd and because Jesus wants her whole, he bypasses the normal protocols and he just does it right there in the middle of the crowd, lays hands on her and calls out healing. And right now, there are people in this room Jesus wants to do that for. Right now, right here. And I wanna tell you, the place for your wounds is in the community. And you have a chance today 
to get somebody to lay hands on you and to receive healing. Why is it we somehow want that to happen in some other place than right here? I know I've mentioned this story before. I've maybe told the whole thing, I can't remember, but anyway, I'm gonna tell it again. Last year, um, I got to visit with somebody. She just started attending Mosaic before COVID hit. And um, so somewhere in the middle of those early months when we were all kind of scattered, she and I had a chance to talk. And she told me she'd been raised in a highly legalistic tradition and it had really done some damage in her life and so because of that she'd rejected Jesus and religion altogether. There's a lot more to the story than that but I'm just going to skip to the part where we were in my office and when she was telling me her story and I could tell there were things in her life that needed prayer and so I just offered her the chance right there for healing prayer and I remember it's kind of funny she said well I don't pray. And she told me she hadn't prayed in years, but I assured her that it was okay, that she didn't have to pray in order for Jesus to show up. You get that, right? I told her I would be praying and Jesus would be praying and she could just be. So I invited Jesus to come and speak to her about the wounds in her life. I began to do the kind of healing prayer that I often do with people. Um, and I, and I, I said, Lord, please heal her, especially of the wounds of, created by legalism and, legalism. and I asked him to walk with her back through the sort of the cave of her memories to the place where those wounds first showed up and where the lie was first spoken into her life. And, and, um, and then I waited. I told her, just let me know when you hear the lie or when you see the memory. And so we waited for a few minutes. And then finally she said to me, Jesus is not doing what you asked (laughs) but he just came in the room and I was like okay like our room like my office somehow in the way supernatural things she was able supernatural things happen she was able to experience the very real presence of Jesus in the room we were in and and she began to narrate what Jesus was doing I couldn't see him or hear him but but evidently she could, and she said, he just invited me to believe. And now she's crying, and she's talking directly to Jesus, and I'm just sitting over here stunned by what I'm hearing. I have just watched Jesus bypass the middleman and proclaim the kingdom to somebody, and now she has accepted his invitation to salvation, and then she's immediately healed of the spirit of religion that had her bound and angry, and that whole scene, it was just so stunning to watch. And it unleashed an amazing change in this person's life that is still unfolding today. She'll tell you that moment changed everything. Ken Blue, the author of the book Authority to Heal, says this. Openly receiving healing for ourselves and constantly praying for others and confidently praying for others rests ultimately in our understanding of who God is. In any issue related, related to God, the who question is prior to all others. And that's what she needed before she could deal with the legalism and the spirit of religion and the other things that had been layered onto her faith and life, she needed to know that Jesus was for her. That Jesus loves her. That Jesus would come after her. 
Until we know God is loving, is for us, is powerful, until we know our Father as he really is in all his glory, we won't seek out his healing power. And our Father, as he really is, is expressed powerfully in the supernatural act of healing. It's a holy pattern. It has repeated itself over and over and over through the ages. And as the Father's glory is exposed in life after life, healing after healing, salvation after salvation, friends, that's how the kingdom comes. There's an interesting catch in this little scene with the woman in Luke chapter 13 who has been over. Did you catch why she's been over? Why? By a spirit, right. She's bound by a spirit. For 18 years, this woman had been living a miserable existence, crippled by a spirit. And he, and he clarifies later in the story, it's an evil spirit. This person was physically incapacitated for a spiritual reason. We're not told what the spirit is or what hold it had on her life other than that the, there were physical issues it produced. But I don't have to take too much of a leap to find a lot of people just like her. Let's start with women just to start. There was a survey done, I don't know, it's been a number of years ago by some ministry or another and they, and they asked women, they, they gave them 10 common reasons why people deal with depression. And they asked these women to rate the reasons they personally deal with depression. 50% of the women who answered this survey identified low self-esteem as the number one reason for their depression. 80% of them ranked it in the top three. And it was women in that poll, but it's not just women. I've talked to enough men to know that the strain of feeling inadequate can be crippling for anybody. Can create an angry personality, chemical depression, even depressing the ability to give and receive love in any kind of meaningful or healthy way. Low self-esteem actually creates a lot of pressure on us. The pressure of somehow having to prove yourself, but you don't feel like you've got anybody's grace you can lean on. Maybe Satan's greatest weapon. Listen to this. It is not to take what you don't have and magnify it, but to take what you do have and tell you it's not enough. Come on. Let me say that again. Satan's greatest weapon may be not to take what you don't have and magnify it, but to take what you do have and tell you it's not enough. And the physical issues that emanate from self-loathing, from feelings of inadequacy, that generates billions of dollars in medical costs. Some of you are dealing with physical issues because you've got a spiritual problem. I had a chance to talk last week with one of the guys who was, he was among the founders of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Yeah, I got to spend about an hour with Alan Hood, that's his name, and, and Alan, um, it, uh, International House of Prayer, for those of you who don't know, um, they've been around for, I don't know, 25 years or so, 24, 23 years, I think, but, but since September 
1999, they have been praying nonstop. Since September 19th, 1999, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he said, no, it's middle of the night prayers. It's not just two people high-fiving each other on the way through the dark. Hundreds of people show up in the middle of the night. They have been praying for 22 years nonstop. So I was asking Alan, all right, so I'm preaching on healing prayer. Tell me what you got. You've been steeping in prayer for a long time. Tell me um, what it is that, you know, what have you learned? What are the breakthroughs in healing prayer? And Alan told me so many people have deep brokenness rooted in self-hatred emotional issues, physical issues, so many issues are rooted in the soil of self-hatred. So he said, if you wanna pray for healing, start there. And self-hatred manifests as pride. You know, we wanna say, well, you've got people, the self-hatred over here and pride is over here and there's two different things, but nope, actually it's two sides of the same coin. It's the same with self-acceptance and humility, two sides of the same coin. When I accept myself, then I'm no longer the center of my thoughts. I can get past myself and be other-focused. Self-hatred manifests as pride. It's us doing our best to make ourselves out to be more powerful than we are so we won't be labeled as worthless or inadequate, which is what we actually believe about ourselves, whether consciously or subconsciously. How many of us walk around bent over by the spiritual sickness of self-loathing? And we've been there for so long, we don't even know that what we're living is a diseased life. We've gotten so used to the anger, the depression, the negativism, the darkness, the feelings of unworthiness, or the fight, like we have to fight for everything. We don't even realize how pervasive it is in every area of our lives. And those around us might not know to tell us. That's what they see, but they see it. Or maybe we've been this way so long they've just gotten used to us this way. Ah, that's just. And we don't see it either until we get to the end of the day and look at ourselves in the mirror and we affirm what the enemy has convinced us of. That we're not what God has actually placed into us. That's what Alan said. He said, have all the healing services you want. Let people be healed until people claim what, they have, what has been prayed over them and walk it out. That Satan doesn't, he said, I'll just meet you at home tonight in front of the mirror. But we can be healed. Francis McNutt, an Episcopal priest who founded Christian Healing Ministries, puts it this way, Jesus came to our fallen, wounded humanity to save and set us free in every way. His Father and ours sees how miserable we are in what sin, in what sickness, in what pain. And having compassion, he sent his son, Jesus, who was like us in every respect except sin. 
Someone who understood us and our pain because he himself shared it. But there was one big difference. Because he was the son of God, he had power within himself to change things. He could even forgive sins and heal sickness. And that Jesus is the same Jesus who today can forgive sins and heal sickness. So last week at New Room, I did a workshop on, on Supernatural, and we did this kind of healing prayer at the end of, this, at the end of our workshop, which we're gonna do this morning in, in a brief way. And a colleague wrote me this email afterwards. He said, my, my wife is an addiction counselor. Recently, she got trained in accelerated resolution therapy, which is a new form of trauma processing therapy. Thursday, after your breakout, I texted her that I just underwent accelerated resolution therapy by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed me weeping, but the Holy Spirit did some deep, deep clean, uh, healing in me as you prayed for us. All in all, it was a day-long work that began with a speaker's message, climaxed with your prayer for inner healing, and was sealed with the word of freedom spoken to my heart at the end of the day. Years of hurt and lies that have caused so much strife and hurt were healed in Jesus' name. That's pretty awesome. I do believe in the power of prayer to heal. Because I believe Jesus Christ is still doing today what he did for people 2,000 years ago. And I believe we have a chance as a church to be what we've always dreamed we could be, to, to live out that beautiful mosaic, to be a place where people come into the community bearing their thorns and can openly and honestly express them and seek healing. And we as the community of faith are not afraid of the thorns because we know that eventually if they, when they are healed, they produce leaves. We can be a place where people who are broken are not condemned or outsourced, and we are that place. <laughs> but embraced and healed by the body of Christ. Being that kind of community means we have to have patience with broken people. It means we have to hold faith for broken people while they wait for healing. And it also means we have a chance to be a place where the power of God is trusted. A place led by prayer, where the Holy Spirit is allowed to work unleashed. Amen. Something else pretty powerful happened at New Room next week that was meaningful to me because it kind of connected with something I've been thinking about a lot. We had this kind of communion where people had a chance to really do some self-reflection, some, some confession, and, and some thinking before they took the elements, and that had really resonated with me because I've been thinking a lot about communion. You'll notice that we, we did communion like every Sunday for the first year after we came back from COVID. When we, we came back in the room, I was hungry for it and then I didn't know how to stop it and then, so we just kept doing it and then finally, June, we stopped after having done it every Sunday for a year and, and now I'm trying to walk my way through because these cups, they're just, they're kind of weird for me, you know? It says, this isn't theologically whole. <laughs> it's not one cup, one loaf, it's hard. So how do we deal with communion, something that's central to the life of Christ while we're doing this? 
So I've been thinking about that a lot lately, reading about that a lot lately. And we're going to have a couple of Sundays coming up where we're going to deal with communion a little bit differently, and I'm kind of excited about it. But, but in this service on, at New Room, they gave us time to think and pray. We took communion together, and it really did feel like um, community. I felt like, after I saw it, like I needed to apologize to all the people who are online because we've been trying to do communion after you get off the camera, after we get off the camera, so you don't notice. Like, like we wouldn't want you to know that we love Jesus and want to celebrate and revel in the sacrament of Holy Communion and maybe make you hungry for it. What I want most is for this act not just today, but, but, but moving forward to be part of our collective healing. And today we can start by making it part of our personal healing. So if you didn't get one of these on your way in, if you'll just raise your hand, Krista will bring you one. Just keep your hand raised until she gets there. She'll bring you one. If you've got one, just hold it. Don't do anything to it yet. Just hold it. Just hold it. James 5 gives us this instruction and in healing and it leads us so beautifully into communion. James says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you can be healed. So I want to just begin to, to I want to let James, I want to let what James has just told us, I want to let James walk us through a time of self-examination on our way to receiving the elements. And so I just, holding, holding this, kind of centering yourself in prayer. Jesus has just walked in the room. And he's here. And if he's sitting in front of you, what kind of conversation would you have with him around these questions? First, start here. What are your troubles? And this is a conversation directly with Jesus. Tell him, here are my troubles, Jesus. These are the things that trouble me. And what are your joys? That too can be part of healing because sometimes just naming our joys helps us to become hungry for more of that. It helps us to see what stands in the way of that. What are your joys? 
What has you sick? Physically, emotionally, spiritually sick. And what are your sins? What do you know that needs to be acknowledged right now, that needs to be spoken into the universe so you're not carrying it alone or worse, ignoring it? What are your sins? What thing have you been holding on to for years that you've gotten so used to that you've forgotten it's there? Or where has self-hatred embedded itself in your life? And how is it manifesting? What lies? Are you letting the enemy tell you? What lies are you operating out of? And in what places in your life are you more comfortable with being bent over than with letting the power of God in? question I really want to ask you is this one. What would make you fall on your knees before Jesus? He's standing before you right now. What would you ask him for? What's the thing, the real thing? I want to invite you to let Jesus come right now have a conversation with you about that thing, that thing. Maybe he can walk you back through your memories and just show you where you got off track. In fact, I just invite you right now, just let Jesus do that. Let Jesus walk you back. And, and if he stands you up in front of a memory, it might be early in your childhood, a lot of times it is, 
If he stands you in front of a memory, two things, just trust that Jesus is there, it's okay, and let him, and let him take you there, and if you see it, if the memory shows up, the thing that is standing in your way right now of healing in some area of your life, if the memory shows up, just, just sh give me a, a hand just so I can see that it's there for you, that, that Jesus is at work in your life. Just lift your hand long enough for me to see it. Thank you, okay, yeah, all right, all right. Okay. Okay. And if he, st if he stood you up in front of a memory, Jesus, I ask you to please speak out what the lie is. What has the enemy spoken in that moment of woundedness? What, what lie did the enemy speak that, that, that has now caused us to work out of that place? Just listen for the lie. And if you hear it, just let me know. It just takes a minute to lift your hand just so I'll know. The enemy of our souls is not particularly creative. Those lies tend to follow certain patterns. I'm not worthy, I'm not enough. I have no voice. I need somebody to make me happy. Those kinds of lies are typical. But Jesus' truth is incredibly creative. <laughs> So Lord Jesus, I would ask you now to speak your truth and give it to us to hear it so we can, and, and I just ask you, Jesus, just take the lie out and replace it with your truth. And just let that happen. Let him speak truth over you, and if you hear it, let me know. All right. Wow. Mm-hmm. As you bent over, Jesus can straighten up. So thank you, Jesus, for the healing you're doing in this room right now. Thank you, Jesus, that we can do this here 
that we can do this together. Thank you, God, that we can bring our thorns into the community and find our healing there. I find it amazing to think that in the same chapter of John where he tells Mary, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. A little bit later, he comes up on Thomas and Thomas's issue is doubt. And Jesus gives a doubter the first chance to touch his wounds. It's a wounded guy who gets the first chance to touch the wounds of Jesus. And so right now, I just invite you to use this time of receiving communion as an opportunity to let your wounds touch his wounds. Jesus said on the night he gave himself up for us, he took bread and he gave thanks for it and he gave it to his, father, uh, to his friends and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you that you might be whole. Will you take that bread and receive it as a sacrament and as a promise that you can be whole? And after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks for it and he gave it to his friends and he said, take and eat or drink from this cup, all of you. This is my blood poured out for you. The thorns and the sword and the beatings and the blood flowed that we might be whole. Drink from this all of you. And receive your healing. So Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for these gifts that, and we ask God that you might make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ that we might be for the world, the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And make us one with each other, Lord and one in ministry to the world, that the world might know that after thorns come leaves, <laughs> that after death there is resurrection, that after wounds there is healing, that after 18 years there can be life. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.